Welcome to NS Audio, you amazing people. Today I'm joined by guest Ty Frankel, a first-generation immigrant from his mother's side from Israel, who has built a million-dollar agency by 22 and is now building one of the biggest email marketing agencies alongside his personal brand all over Twitter. In our conversation today, we spoke about his experience building his agencies, traveling, the music industry, email marketing, Twitter growth, launching an info product, and all about networking, and so much more. And as always, to those of you who are new, new episodes of NS Audio drop every Wednesday. And if you'd like to let me know your feedback, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or reach out to me at Nitty Saran on Instagram or Twitter. Without me talking too much, let's get right into it. Hey, Ty, how are you? Yo, 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 how's it going? It's going well. How about you? Good. Good. Awesome. Awesome. How do you how do you pronounce your name? Nitty? Nitty? Yeah, it's Nitty. Nitty Nitty. Yeah, a lot of people get that messed up, but Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, thank you for joining me and you know, thank you for taking the time. You know, I'm just getting started with this podcast. You're the third guest on it. So I really appreciate it. And you know, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. So if it's cool with you. Yeah, let's get right into it. So I want to, you know, before we get into the specifics, I want you to tell the audience, I want you to tell me more about yourself. You know, you said that you're a first generation immigrant to America. So tell me more about that and tell us about your backstory. Yeah, so I'm a a first generation immigrant on my mom's side. So she's 100% Israeli Jewish. My dad's American Jewish. And I'm not going to get too much into how they met and everything. But basically, my dad was a professor. He went to Israel. They ended up being roommates. She was actually a student um, at the school. And the thing is, like, he was 28 and, like, she was, like, 24, 25. So it wasn't that crazy. Um, but basically, yeah, I came here when I was, like, two, three years old, um, back and forth here in Israel my whole life. And I've always been into music. I, got, I remember the CD player. I was, like, five years old. I had um, Lil Bow Wow, just a little before your time, uh, Nitty. But I had Lil Bow Wow and Outkast, Stankonia, Eminem, Curtain Call. Um, Busta Rhymes albums, Nelly, Sweat, Suit, all these different albums in my CD player. And I just fell in love with hip hop at like age five and six. Um, And then I got into underground hip hop when I was like 13, 14. My dad had a sabbatical in Israel. So my whole family was there for a year. And basically, I started a hip hop blog called Dungeons of Rap. It was dungeonsofrap.com. And Funny thing, actually, my Twitter account now is the same exact account I had back then. I just changed the username a bunch of times. But basically, I like posted every day about like new underground hip hop songs coming out. I did interviews with like some some pretty big rappers in the scene. Master Ace, who's Eminem's idol, um, you can look it up and everything. That's you know he goes back to. I did an interview with um John Connor, who's worked a lot with Dr. Dre. He was on the um. The NWA album, not the NWA album of the 90s, but like the um, Compton, the Compton album. Yeah, the, the soundtrack. Um, and then a couple other guys. And I was just basically into underground hip hop. I was on a forum called Yahoo Answers. Um, they had like a little underground hip hop sub forum and people started producing music. And I was like, cool, let me start as well. Um, and then I started and I just fell in love the first day. And, you know, I was 14. This is back actually May 5th, 2012. That was my first day producing music. I remember it very clearly. And since then, yes, I just started producing tons of music, got into music. And I mean, I'm not in music now, but I was in music for about almost like, um, you know, basically eight and a half, nine years um, up until a couple months ago. So, yeah, now we're at this point. Wow, that that's incredible. The fact that you remember the exact date and everything and like. You know, I find that to be amazing. And what also interests me is when you said, you know, you started the the website that you were writing on or you were, you know, posting on. Uh, what was the website name again? Dungeonsofrap.com. So that's like a reference from Nas. Mm-hmm. I, I forgot so, what song it was. But yeah, Ill, I think it was on Illmatic where you said that. What made you, you know, you're young, you were young at that time, I'm assuming, right? How old were you when you created that? I was uh, probably 14. Yeah, that's crazy. So what made you well, like, 15. <laughs> well, I mean, but still, like, what made you think that the Internet was the way to go? Like, go on. the internet? Was it just for fun or did you see something long term with it or I just grew up in the Internet. So that was the only thing I, I knew, I guess, you know, I've always been on the Internet since I was a little kid. It was obviously vastly different 
back in the way back in the day, like early 2000s when I started getting on it. Um, but that's the only thing I, you know, like you, you can make shit happen on the internet. Like you really can't anywhere else, especially as a young kid where it's like, mm-hmm. you can't even work really. I mean, you might be able to start your own lawn mowing business, whatever. I don't know. But basically the internet is, if you want to make shit happen for yourself, that's where you do it at. You're so right about that. You know, when I was younger, it's like, how do I, you know, make money? Like all these other people are making money. How am I going to make money? So right. that's how I got on the internet. But when did you, you know, get I on read it? on, oh, I got on the internet when I was 14 too. Like, wow. Like start making um, money yeah. on it. I'll start making money. I made a couple like bucks here and there, but nothing big until like maybe a year ago, 2020 was the year. Um, that's when I started to, you know, take things seriously, start putting out more content, release my first product, things like that. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, But I read on the internet that, you know, before I came on this podcast with you, I obviously did some research on you, but I read on the internet before you told me that you were 14 year old and you were making um, rap beats from your home. And that's just incredible. And I, it's interesting that you found a passion in the music industry. Where do you think that came from? Was there anyone around you that, you know, was into music or, you know, anything like that any sort of influence like that before you know seeing bigger artists and is there any other additional influence that made you have a passion for music no there really wasn't actually my dad back in the day way back in the day he was born in 66 so in the 80s he was making this music but like it was not good like i'm gonna be honest we used to listen to it in the car and it was it wasn't like horrible but it wasn't commercial quality not even close He's not that great of a singer. I don't know how he did it, but um, but no, no one was, you know, obviously music is in, I think everyone's life. It's, it's embedded in most people's lives. um, And it it wasn't mine from a young age. My mom and dad always, you know, my dad put on a lot of Frank Sinatra, a lot of jazz, old 40 stuff in the car. My mom liked to listen to a lot of like Israeli folk rock and stuff like that. Um, But, you know, I kind of carved out my own taste. I still love that stuff that my mom and dad played. Um, my, you know, my grandpa played the cello um, when he was around, but no one to really push it on me. I think I just fell in love with it myself. Mm-hmm. That's that's really beautiful. And, you know, even if, you know, there were some parts of your family, like I see what you're saying, like some parts of your family had it some some day. And even so, it was just you who found that passion initially. So I find it incredible that you started uh, an agency, you know, shut down media into, you know, divisions like shut down music and things like that. Um, So what has been, uh, what has shut down music been like building it? Like, what has the journey been like? Well, that's a great question. Uh, It's been interesting. It's been very interesting. It's been fulfilling. It's been frustrating. It's been rewarding. A lot of different things. Um, I learned some great skills that are very transferable to other industries, which is what, you know, which kind of goes into what I'm doing now in terms of building it. uh, The music industry is very interesting to be in. Luckily I was in the music for TV and film industry, which is kind of a, uh, not that obscure. I mean, it's, it does like two, 3 billion a year, but people in the commercial music industry are not aware of this side of the industry as much as they should be because there's a lot of money in it and they're just not, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I don't know if you knew this or not, but there's a lot of producers that produce for like Drake and Kendrick and all these big artists and Migos, whatever, but they're mm-hmm. broke. They're making like 20, 30, $40,000 a year and they're incredibly talented. And I was, I, I had some friends you know, cause I wasn't in the industry for that long when I was making my own stuff. I got into the company thing pretty quick. I have some, I had some friends that they were making six figures and the other producers that were producing for Drake and all these big artists are, are obviously way better than them. at just making music. And it's like, they didn't know this side of the industry. Um, but yeah, it was cool being in the industry. I really loved, I really loved talking to clients. I mean, some of our biggest clients were Warner universal Red Bull, um, I was at a rooftop party at Warner in like late 2019 in September. Beautiful. They have a new office in downtown LA. Just being invited to like, I was at a um, Pulse Music Group party, big publishing group. They do like Rich the Kid, Ty Dolla Sign. Um, just going to events like that in LA, I think that was just really cool. It just felt, <laughs> you know, it, it felt cool going to these um, exclusive events and just that was a cool part of it. And then building a business and, and making relationships 
you know, creating lifelong friendships. I have like two, three people that I still talk to and I'm going to talk to in five, 10 years um, that helped me build my company and that, you know, were, were, were parts of my company. Um, that was cool. You know, talking to 50, 60, 70 year old CEOs of like $50 million companies and just having lunch with them, kind of being very friendly with them was cool. And just building a company with like tons and tons of systems and processes and, you know, seven, eight employees um, during our heyday two, three, four months ago. Um, that was really fulfilling. I really love building things with my own two hands and like just always adding to it, just always making it more efficient, um, optimizing everything. It was very fulfilling. But then at the same time, it was frustrating because I felt like our room for our room for growth was very capped in this industry. So we were just providing the music we used to. So basically we had 50 musicians and we had a team. We were just making the music. We weren't distributing it. We were making it and we sold it off to these companies. They would pay us 500 or a thousand dollars a song and we would make royalties on the back end whenever they, you know, got it placed with their clients, like in a movie or TV show or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's why our room for growth was very capped because lots of different companies came to me and were like, yo, why are you working with this company? Why are you working with so many companies? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, well, I'm trying to make money here. You know? So it's like everyone is in competition and unless you distribute your own music, then there's a pretty significant, a pretty low, um, there's a pretty tight cap for growth. Like we probably made five, $600,000 last year in revenue. Um, and, you couldn't really make more than that. I mean, we did like 800, 900 songs last year. So yeah, that's basically the I journey. See, I yeah. see. I see. So, you know, you would call it fulfilling, but at the same time, there isn't much, you know, room for growth. So is that like a reason why you kind of, you know, transition into shutdown emails? Is that a reason why um, you decided to step out of that industry? Yeah, that's the main reason. It definitely is. So there were two reasons. One is that the cap, the, the room for growth was capped. And I talked to some industry leaders, some of my really good friends that own these companies, that own these music distribution companies, that they have all these clients. They were telling me like, dude, it's going to take you five, six, seven years to even break even if you start something new. And that wasn't surprising because the industry is very slow growth. Like if you get into it, you know, work your ass off in three, four, five years, you might make over a hundred thousand um, dollars. But yeah, that was definitely one of the reasons. And then the other one was just like employees, man. They just kept coming in. This is 100% my fault, obviously. Um, but they kept coming in and leaving and coming in and leaving. And we used to go through so many transitionary periods where it was like, okay, I had to cover for this employee or the, my other employee, they had to kind of switch their role because this employee left and we're hiring someone new. So that got really frustrating, especially since we were not, the profit margins weren't anything crazy. It's probably 25, 30%. So that got really frustrating. And in, in November, we hired an admin assistant. She wasn't, was barely doing work. She left after two weeks. I was about to fire her anyways. Hired a new admin assistant. She was on for two weeks. She got an anxiety attack and just left And after two weeks. And then like a day or two after, my operations manager, who I was mentoring, we had a really great relationship. She left and she sent me an email. And she's like, blah, blah, I'm leaving, whatever. I don't personal reasons or something. I don't know. And then she just left and blocked me on all the social platforms. So it's like, I couldn't reach out to her at all. And it's like, what? Like, I thought you were going to be here for years. Like we had a great relationship, like a very good relationship. Um, and I was like, all right, f like F this, this is too much. This is way too much. It's, I shouldn't be dealing with this. And you know, that's kind of when I discovered the power of Twitter and also just shut down emails. I was talking to a uh, cold email wizard, who I'm sure you know, Daniel, and a couple other friends on Twitter. And they're like, dude, you know, it's so easy to do. Like cold emails are so easy. I've already been doing it for like 10 years, um, not at like a huge scale, but getting all of my clients, like I did that through cold email. Um, so that was kind of the last straw. And I was like, all right, F this. I'm just going to dismantle shutdown media. And I'm going all in on shutdown emails and on Twitter and probably the best choice I've ever made um, financially and, and, and business wise in my life. And I should have done it a couple years ago. Yeah. Damn, that's really crazy. And to hear that, you know, you had those employees and the way you told me, like, you know, they just blocked you on the platforms and, you know, no way of contact. That's crazy. My jaw <laughs> dropped for real. But 
so now yeah. you have like right you have around like two to three employees or is it like a team what yeah exactly so for shutdown yeah shutdown emails. emails it's me and then i have two uh email performance specialists which are basically copywriters they write like when you do cold emails or any cold outreach you want to write a personalized first line about every prospect and to make sure that okay they're going to get mm-hmm. this email and it says Hey, Nita, you could say, I really love your podcast. Your episode with, with Ty or Tin was incredible to hear. Like, I love how Tin talked about Instagram, whatever. Obviously, I'm just making up on the fly. It'd be way better than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but these mm-hmm. personalized first lines are very important. So I have two first line writers, basically, email performance specialists. And then I have one head of copy. He manages our um, these copywriters. And then I have um, a campaign manager who manages all of our email campaigns. Um, so yeah, it's it's cool. We just signed our first two clients like last week and we're about to sign two, three more. Um, and it's just very lean. It's a lot, it's a lot leaner than shutdown media to where it was tough. It's tough making music. Like it's not, you know, a, a song goes through a lot of different steps before it reaches its final form. Um, so that's why it was just so bloated. The business, the profit margin was so low. Um, so yeah, shut, shut down emails. It's me. And then I think three, four, five others. We're looking for another person or two to hire. And we should have seven or eight people. We should be able to manage 10 to 15 clients. I see. I see. So that's going to be like less stress for you, less stress for everything. And, you know, even, you know, now you're going to have, you know, cold emails so much. I would say, would you say it's easier because, right? You would say it's easier than, you know, handling that whole shutdown media um, agency. But, you know, I'm also, you know, I was going to ask this, but I already kind of assume that your answer is um, shut down emails. But with all your experience, what venture do you see, do you think is going to be more successful and which do you think you're going to enjoy more shut down music or shut down emails? Oh, shut down emails by a million. I didn't realize how much I didn't like shut down mm-hmm. music. Like I didn't like being in the industry and having all these employees, which, um, some of them were great and I and I am still working with a couple of them and they're in shut they're on my team shutdown emails are amazing. I love working with them. You know, some employees I didn't really like working with, you know, and, and it's like I should have fired them. And you live and you learn. Uh, but definitely shut down emails. It's gonna be I, I didn't realize how much I did not like being in the music industry until I dismantled shutdown emails and I just felt a huge weight um come off my back, basically. I see. And I'm so excited to see how far you get with shutdown emails because, you know, you've already been able to get so far with shutdown media, even if you didn't enjoy it as much. But, you know, how far you're going to go with shutdown emails is really incredible. And I can't wait to see it. So before. Yeah, of course, before, you know, we go into more about your Twitter and, you know, explaining more about that, I want to touch on email marketing just a little bit. Um, So to those listening and who don't know about email marketing at all, what is email marketing? Well, there's two forms of email marketing, right? One is uh, B2B, which is business to business. So you're basically emailing another business and trying to add value to them somehow, right? Um, And then another one is B2C, and that's um, business to consumer, and I'm in the B2B realm. So whatever we do, we work with other businesses. And these businesses, they their clients are other businesses. So these can be marketing agencies, cybersecurity companies, you know, companies in the finance industry, real estate. Um, that's more of the B2B space to whereas like e-com, if you're doing... And that's more personalized. Like every email is manually sent. That's what the B2B space is. The B2C space is mostly like email newsletters. So if you think of email marketing, this is probably what you think of. These email newsletters, a lot of e-com brands or influencers. Uh, James Clear on Twitter has over a million people subscribed to his email list. It's business to consumer. So it's either a company or influencer or whatever, emailing a consumer, their customers, and they're trying to sell something. That's B2C. And, and shutdown emails operates completely in the B2B realm. I see. I see. So why should someone take advantage of email marketing for their business? If someone owns a business, why should they take advantage of it? If you had to try to convince someone to do it, why? Should well, they I mean, it? if you have on the B2B space in, in the B2B space, if you have a high ticket offer, so if you're selling something and the lifetime value of an average client, right? Let's say you work with someone new 
an, an average client you bring on, if they make at least $10,000 over the lifetime of your relationship, then your ROI, you know, doing these personalized email campaigns is insane. It's very cheap to send emails. There's, it's literally no, it's, it's very low cost. All you got to pay for is some software and then people to write the emails. And that's basically it. Um, it's very easy to get high level clients from email because, you know, you're going directly to their inbox. Um, and another thing is you're emailing qualified people. So you know who you're emailing rather than if you run ads or if you do organic traffic and they hit you up. So like an inbound lead, they contact you through you publicizing yourself um, or your company, whatever. You don't know who they are. So they might waste your time, right? They're not qualified. Whereas if you're emailing someone, you know exactly who you're emailing every time. So there's that reason, the qualification, being able to hyper qualify a prospect. And the second reason, um, it's very, very cheap, especially if you're selling high ticket offers, you know, 5,000 minimum over the lifetime um, of an average client. I see. So low to no barrier to entry and pretty much personalization. And we'll get more into personalization as we talk about your first info product release. But first, um, one last question about email marketing. So what advice could you give to someone when it comes to outreach via emails? Maybe some general do's or don'ts, nothing too specific, but you know, someone who's just getting started, some be beginner friend. Yeah, advice. of course, of course. So when you email someone, you want to be persistent. So first of all, you want to find clients that your service would add value to their lives and they would buy whatever you're selling. You don't want to email random people. So that's why you want to hyper target whoever you're emailing. You want to make sure, okay, this person, whatever I do, whatever service or product I provide, it's going to add a lot of value to their lives and they would buy it. So that's the first thing. And then when you're writing the emails, you want to do five or six emails in the sequence basically. So you don't want to email them once. And then if they don't answer, they don't answer. You're never going to contact them again. You know, a lot of people do that. Most people do that. You want to email them five or six times. And at the same time, you don't want to be annoying. So there's kind of a balance to be had. And then in terms of writing the emails themselves, keep it very, very short. You know, make sure that there's line breaks in there, not huge blocks of text, one to two sentences max per line. So you don't want three, four, five sentences, like a paragraph, you're writing a paper um, to be written in these emails, one to two sentences, max short, sweet to the point. Hey, name, put the personalized first line, one or two sentences about your business, social proof, and then a call to action. Hey, let's hop on a, let's hop on a call this week or let's talk, or do you have time to talk this week on a call? And then that's it. Sign your name. Um, keep it very, very simple. So a lot of people, when they send me emails and I just got one a couple of days ago, it was this guy who was doing cold calling and it was like six, seven lines. It was super salesy. He put like the name of his company and then like TM. I was like, dude, this is like obviously spam. So you want your email to look like you're emailing a friend, right? Yeah. So that's, mm -hmm. that's what it should look like. It shouldn't be like, hello, sir. We are now offering the new, you know what I mean? Like the, that's just too, you want to yeah. be like, Hey name, like, I love the way you blah, blah, blah. Like just casual, very conversational. And that's how you reach someone. Casual conversational is perfect way to put it. You know, don't be, we just say, don't be too professional. Even if you're emailing CEOs of, of big companies, right, be wanna... casual. They don't, they're not going to be offended. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So keep it simple and just make sure you're following up. What advice do you have when it comes what to advice, follow up? The advice I have is keep your follow-ups very simple and provide more social proof. So case studies are great. If you say, Hey, you know, let's say your second, third, fourth follow-up, you know, basically um, a lot of the stuff that black hat with that uh, cold email wizard does is really good. So he says like, Hey, we just had another big win with this client. You're basically making someone jealous. You're making whoever you're emailing jealous, like, dang, I really need to work with these guys. That's what you're doing in your follow-ups. You're not, you know, the one or two follow-ups in, in the five or six um, email sequence can be, hey, just bumping this up, whatever. Um, you get a chance to check it out, that kind of thing. But most of them should be providing more value, providing more social proof. Even 
link a blog post like, hey, just put this blog out, whatever. Maybe it can help you, of course, be more specific than that, tailored to their situation. Or, hey, it was just on this podcast. You know, it can help you this, this, and this. Put like three bullets out. Um, so you want to just provide value and make them think like, damn, if I worked with this person, I could make a lot of money or I could save a lot of time. Um, so that's what you want to do in the follow-ups. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I see. I see. So that's very well put. Um, perfectly put. So now I want to transition back into you and your journey. So, you know, going into Twitter. So besides all those amazing achievements you had at such a young age of building up, you know, these million dollar agencies and, you know, going after it and, you know, you're building a personal brand on the internet now, which you're doing an incredible job at, by the way, you're coming near, you know, 10K followers around. I know you're at like 6,000 near 7,000, but that's very close to 10K. So tell me more about your Twitter journey. Like what made you choose Twitter out of all platforms to grow on? Well, I've been on Twitter since 09. And dang, you were what? Four, three, four years old. That's crazy. But yeah, I've been on Twitter since 09. <laughs> I was... um. I remember back in the day, you could talk to like famous people on Twitter. Like I talked to some NBA players, all these different things, and they would respond. Um, just a simple, it wasn't like hate or it wasn't like love. They would just ask them a question, very neutral. They would respond. Um, but back in the day, I was on Twitter since 09. My username, I think, was the King987. Um, anyways, basically, I never, I haven't, dis- I didn't discover the power of Twitter until November of 2020. So like a couple months ago. And I don't know how, I don't know why I discovered it. I don't know how I discovered it, man. It's, but it's just so powerful. Like I didn't realize how, I think I stopped shutdown media and I'm like, okay, we're B2B. We're kind of behind the scenes, whatever. Now I'm doing shutdown emails. Let's just try this Twitter thing. It wasn't like a decision I made like on the spot, like just like, let's really go hard on this Twitter thing. Like I just started posting content and connecting. And then over the course of the next couple of days, the next couple of weeks, I'm like, okay, let me just take this. Th- let me just go crazy with this thing. Um, so that's kind of how that went. And, you know, I think I had 1,750 followers and I started November 21st. Now I'm at like 6,800. Um, you know, so it's, it's been a great ride. And I recommend anyone listening who's not on Twitter and not putting really great content out on Twitter. Um, Definitely reconsider and put great content out and connect and comment on other people's posts and grow your Twitter because it's crazy. If you have something of value to add, which I hope I have, um, then the opportunities that you can get and the opportunities that just come to you out of nowhere are insane. And in the power of an audience that loves you and connects with you. Um, and knows you have tons of value to add to their lives, whether that's being funny, right? Whether that's adding value in business, right? Value can come in in a, in, a, in different ways, but the power is just like immense. And, I, and I'm so happy I found Twitter and I met people like you, uh, Nitty. I appreciate that. And I'm grateful for meeting you as well. Um, but, you know, I also agree with you, like Twitter has been life changing, honestly, because I, I got on it. Well, I had the account since October 2019, but I never really used it. I didn't even know how the platform worked. <laughs> I didn't know how to tweet a single thing, but I started to use it in June 2020. I don't know what really got me on money Twitter or that side of Twitter and connect with a bunch of business people. But, you know, like Ty said, if anyone's listening and you, you're not putting content out on you know Twitter, I, you know, definitely recommend you go and do that because there's so many relationships you can grow into, which I'll talk more about networking in a bit, but there's so much to come from when it comes to networking. Like most of my clients have come from, uh, you know, relationships and connections I've made on Twitter and it's just such a powerful, you know, powerful tool. Uh, so what is your growth strategy? Do you have a growth strategy? How do you, you know, do you schedule content? What, I really like you your tweets about growth. On, is on Twitter. And I pretty much do everything you say. I, I, oh. not, I didn't necessarily like follow what you what your tweets are. Like, okay, I saw this native tweet. I'm going to go copy it. But I've gotten that info from other sources. Like I took Olive, Oliver Cantan's uh, Twitter course. And I just mm-hmm. looked up this guy named Income Cure. When I first started out, income cure at income, I think maybe cure income. 
Yeah, in- income mm-hmm. cure, yes. isn't it? Yeah, cure income, cure income. Well, he has like his his yeah, name is income cure, but his username is cure income. So I would change if I was you, dude. I don't know. It's confusing. Um, but I took a lot of his <laughs> advice, and he's like, "Yo, make threads, connect, engage, um, do all these different things. A hundred tweets a day." I'm like, "All right, cool, let's do this." And two, three weeks after I first started in in mid November, I was like, "All right, I'm trying to take this like, I'm trying to go crazy with this thing." So. I really took his advice to heart. I started taking like I took one course on Twitter, the Oliver course, which is incredible. I recommend everyone to to get it. It's completely free. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, just started connecting people, just starting DMing people, just started putting out, started putting out. I hope really great content. Um, I have a lot to teach. Basically, you know, I've been in music for so long. I've read so many books. I've gone through so many experiences in my twenty three years here, and you know, built a company, shut down media. We hit a mill last year in, in overall revenue, you know, had clients from Red Bull, Warner, whatever, but I'm very systems. I'm very systems and operations oriented. Um, we went through 25 employees in, a, in just over a year and a half um, from when I started really hiring and scaling shutdown media. So I have a lot to teach and I'm just glad I have that outlet to be able to teach people what I've learned and you're teaching at scale and it just feels good when you get DMS like, Hey, you changed my life or blah, blah. I get like 30, 40 DMS a day. Not all of them like that, obviously. Um, but it feels good. And you know, my average tweet now, I remember back in the day, I look at my stats and I had 1700 followers for like five years. I was barely tweeting like 40 times a month. I probably got three, 400 impressions per tweet. But now the average tweet I think is around, if it's not, if it doesn't perform well, it's like three, 4,000 impressions so it's crazy every little thing you put out like 5 10 15 20 thousand impressions it hits 5 10 15 20 thousand people it's just crazy to think about that it's like you're tweeting to a stadium of people it's crazy yeah yeah for real like it's when you uh visualize like a crowd number or when you see the amount of impressions and the analytics that you're getting back and the numbers you're getting back and you try to visualize how many people that is in like a stadium or a classroom like that's that's crazy like the amount the number it might seem like small maybe like 100 followers but 100 people in a single room that's crazy you know so I definitely see what you're saying there. And I appreciate you putting out content like that from all your experience. You know, you can be, you know, creating, you know, paid products and all that sort of stuff, but you are putting out free content, free value, changing people's lives. And, you know, I always get excited to see your tweets on my timeline. Like it's, it's great because your tweets are, yeah, of course, like it's very, very valuable. Um, And, you know, yeah, it's definitely a pleasure to be following you. Uh, So you also mentioned threads. So how have threads worked for you? Because some people think it doesn't work. Some people do. So what's your... I'd like to hear from from the people who think it doesn't work. It it might not work. I mean, if a thread blows up, you're going to get tons of followers. Like my threads, I think some of them are really great. Some of them aren't. Obviously, there's a range of how good they are. But my best ones have like 350 to 500 likes with like 30 to 50,000 impressions, probably got a hundred to 200 followers from the best ones. So it's not the best way to get followers. It just isn't per, you have to spend a lot of time. I mean, I take an hour or two hours to write these threads out. Um, my threads are probably 10 to 20 tweets long, maybe seven to 20 tweets long. Um, especially the really good ones that go super in depth. Like sometimes I link my SOPs. Like I'm like, yo, here's Google, here's Google drive. Here's all my SOPs. That's crazy. I haven't seen really anyone do that. Um, but it might not be the best way to bring in followers, but it's the best way to show them how valuable you are as a person. And as, as someone that knows about your certain, you know, certain things you talk about. So if you just talk about business, let's say you talk about sales, marketing, whatever, cool. You could put screenshot outs of results. That's great. And you could put, you could kind of talk about it in in the general sense and maybe get specific on a certain tweet or two. But if you put a thread out, that's like 10, 20 tweets and you get very, very specific into the nuts and bolts of everything, then people go on your profile and I have my pinned, um, I have a pinned tweet that's just like a thread of all threads here, all my threads. Um, and basically they click on it and they're like, damn, this dude is not like, they go through and read lots of the different threads. Like, damn, this dude is worth a follow. Like he really knows what the, what the fuck he's talking about. Right. Um, so that's kind of what I look at it as. It's just proving your worth, proving how much value you can really add, proving if you're if you're 
you really know what you're talking about because people can BS on a tweet or two, but you can't BS your way through a thread. You can't BS your way through 20 threads providing this very specific knowledge that you need to hop on a consultation to, to even get from like people that are leaders in their industry. Like you can't BS through that. So that's what I like. It's very, threads are a very transparent yeah. way um, to show that you know what, what you're talking about to your followers. Yeah, definitely. I mean, bro, you released, you know, your SOPs. <laughs> I mean, of course people know what you're talking about. Like I'm going through your thread of threads right now on my computer and it's like, you put everything out. Everything is not out everything, there. not You're everything. Giving the whole I'm, I'm, I'm keeping some stuff secret. Game, so. I'm keeping some stuff secret. Well, most things, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you need to keep something yeah. secret, but you know, the amount of value you're providing is already, you know, uh, sufficient and even Thank more you. than just sufficient, right? Beyond sufficient. So you're just definitely like you deserve. I don't know why you're only at like near 7,000 followers. Enough. You should be at like a good 20K. So. Yeah, soon enough. But yeah, so uh, what's your ultimate goal? My ultimate goal, goal with, Twitter with Twitter is I'm a friendships guy. I love making like that's worth more to me than anything. Just I've had friends come and go. Obviously, we all have. Maybe you less than others. I mean, you're 15. I've, you know, friends get in, come into your life for a couple of years. They leave. You move. Mm -hmm. I've always moved to Thailand, to LA. I, I've been around. So friends come and go. Um, but I love, I've made two friends. Nick and Han, and they're on Twitter. You can follow them. They're both fucking amazing followers. Follow, um, follow, follows Nick Abraham 12 and Vision and Sales. And they've become like, I've made other friends as well, but these two specifically have become like really great friends. We talk every day, we laugh, we talk about business, we're partnering up on lots of different things together. And, you know, these guys, they reached out to me in November. They both reached out my way actually early, like, like, right when I was starting to grow my, my Twitter, uh, mid November. And it's just those friendships that are very rewarding. It's like having someone you could laugh with having someone you're going to get together with like lifelong friends. That's probably one of the main reasons I do Twitter. And then the next one, obviously being pr able to provide a lot of value and, and making a lot of money. Um, and just being able to provide value at scale that you wouldn't have been able to do before because organic traffic, especially at, like your followers, if they love you, if you build a real connection, then you can provide so much value for them. You know, especially if you build your connection on something that's more than just memes. You, what, what value can you really provide to someone? You can't put out, you can't make, you know, $10,000 from one follower, right? To where if you, if you provide a business value, that's going to help them make a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars, you can put something out for $10,000. So that's what I like about Twitter. It just allows you to um, to really amplify the value you provide and, and to provide it to thousands or hundreds of th tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people at the same time and just really build. Every single thread you do, every single tweet you put out is in the back of someone's mind. So you're building up a persona um, in every single thing you do online in terms of, let's say, Twitter it stays in the back of your followers' minds. So you're just building and building and building and building. And eventually you could put out products that really improve someone's life. You could put out SaaS, you could do coaching, consulting. I mean, if you have right now, I can make like six figures in my sleep basically. And I don't even have to try. So I know that I'm going to be set for the rest of my life. And that's what Twitter can do for you. Obviously, if you have value to provide like me and you, Nitty, but if you don't, then, you know, get some experience, actually have some actual value to provide and then go on Twitter because people are only going to follow you if you have value to provide, whether that's business, whether that's being funny, whether that's being entertaining business and is just more value. You know, if you can help someone make a trillion dollars, they're going to pay you a billion dollars. Right. So yeah, that's the power of Twitter. Definitely. I, I, I like the way you put it and, um, you know, like 
like I always hear it, you have to build outside of Twitter in order to succeed on Twitter, right? There's a bunch of people who get on this side of, you know, business Twitter, money Twitter, who don't have any experience and they're just tweeting random stuff. And, you you know, that can bring you a couple thousand dollars. It could bring you a couple thousand followers, but it's not really going deep, right? You don't want to, you want to go deep with what you're doing. Like you said, you know, if you can provide, you know, straight value from your experiences, the more deeper you go and, you know, Twitter is an opportunity to amplify and deepen those relationships and co those connections with you, which uh, that you have with people. That's what will allow you to get further with that. And I like how you put it that if you have value, you know, that you're constantly providing and people can see that it's actual valuable content, then you can put out a product for $10,000 because you know it'll bring them something even greater in return. Uh, so that's definitely a great way to put it. And, you know, speaking, you know, on all, all those achievements that you had on Twitter and all those, you know, goals that you've reached on Twitter and, you know, those friendships, those relationships that you've built, on top of all that, you've released your first info product called Godlike First Lines a couple weeks back and you made over $24,000 or even more from it so far. So tell us about, you know, tell me more about that. Oh, thank you. Thanks for the you compliments. Nitty and, and God level first lines was something that was not supposed to be a product at all. It was literally just an in-house SOP. So standard operating procedure for my copywriters, my first line writers for shutdown emails. I made 11 hours of video content going through their first lines and correcting them. Be like, hey, here's my thought process. Here's why I corrected this. Make it more like this. Make it more like that, whatever. And it's correcting them. And then I want, I think, seven hours of correcting them, four to seven. And then it's like four or seven hours of actually writing first lines myself and explaining the thought process behind it. So before we had first line writers, I wanted to do it myself. I know I've been, I've, I'm a solid writer. I wanted to just do it myself and establish SOPs around them. I mean, every single system that we create as an agency, I want to do it myself first, just so I know the best way to do it, just so I know how to do it. And just so I can reside over the system and kind of know if it's working right, know if it's working wrong, things like that. So all the content I made, except for, I, I kind of topped it off a little bit. All the videos I made in-house SOPs, they were not meant for the course. And then I put some graphics in there specifically for the course. I, um, what else did I do? I had like five examples of like bad first lines, mediocre first lines, great first lines. And I explained why they're bad or why they're mediocre, why they're great. And I corrected the bad and mediocre ones. And I explained how I corrected them. Very valuable stuff. I probably had three to five examples in each, but then for the course, I'm like, all right, let me just do 10 so they can really get an, a ton of value out of this. 10 examples. There's 30 each. I mean, sorry, there's 30 examples overall. Um, I basically topped it off a little bit, you know, in terms of making it more valuable. It wasn't, yeah, it was just an in-house SOP and I hit Daniel up, Daniel, cold email wizard. And I'm like, Hey dude, you know, I have like 5,000 followers. It's a good amount, but mm -hmm. why not just have you get involved and, you know, you can make the intro video, do the sales letter, whatever. We can put your name on it. And basically you can sell this as an add-on to cold email mastery. Right. So he's like, yeah, great. We partnered up, boom. He, he basically sells it as an add-on to Cold Email Mastery. Everyone that buys Cold Email Mastery is going to get an email follow-up or gets an email follow-up with God-level first lines because it just fits so well in his ecosystem. And yeah, we started we started selling it. So I mean, the process was pretty simple. I mean, from inception, from when I thought of, okay, let me just put this product out to when we actually launched, probably like a week. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. That's really crazy. And the fact that you hit such high numbers within your first week, and I can tell, you know, it's because you've built that connection with, you know, um, Daniel and, you know, being able to build that connection is what allowed you to also, you know, reach more people. And I find that to be incredible. And the amount of value you provided through that, you know, godlike first lines product for what is it? Your yeah, it's at 97. At like around 97, it's at 97 right, but at I'm moment? putting... Actually, this week is going to go up to 107. You know, I just finished creating my hiring SOPs, put them in there this week, and it's going to go up to 107. 
that's that's crazy and you should be raising the price True. because the amount of value in there is crazy um so you know like you said before yeah like like you said before it's like if you know the value you're providing and if you know that you're providing it even through your free content just imagine how much value you can provide to your audience through your paid content so you're definitely you know um providing a lot of con uh, value through your content, you know, paid and free. Uh, so what advice do you have when it comes to launching an info product? Let's say someone wants to launch and they're, they're looking at your success story at making like over $24,000 in your you know first week or so. How, what sort of advice would you I give guess to that person? I when guess they we've, want been, to we've done pretty well. I mean, 360 sales over 20, I think five, 25,500 gross. I have an idea for you. If you want to launch an info product, I don't know much. This is my first info product. So I really don't know much and I'm learning. Um, what I did and what seems like it was successful for me is that I didn't have a great following. What surprised, actually what surprised me was like, I got about 45% of the sales and Daniel got about 45%. So I thought Daniel was, cold email wizard was going to carry the sales, but that didn't happen. Um, what I would recommend is if you're putting out a product and you were under 10,000 followers, partner with someone, just create the product, partner with them, slap their name on it. They don't even have to create the, anything on the course. You just create the course, you partner with them, slap their name on it, um, give them an affiliate link and be like, yo, you're going to get 50% of whatever sales you make. And also you're going to get a percentage of whatever sales I make. I'm not going to give away the percentage that you know we agreed upon me and Daniel, uh, cold email wizard, but you, know, you could just partner with them mm -hmm. and you could double or triple your sales. And also you're partnering with someone who has a big following, a big engaged following, an ecosystem of their own, whatever credibility that they have is just going to come back to you. So that was one of the big reasons I partnered with Daniel. It wasn't really a money play. It was a lot. It was a big credibility thing. It was like, all right, if me and Daniel put this course out, my name is going to be tied to cold email, to cold email wizard, cold email mastery. My name is going to be tied. So whatever credibility he has, because I know his course mm -hmm. is fucking incredible. I'm going to get that credibility back my way just from osmosis right so that's what i would recommend if you have a small following create a fucking amazing course yeah. and then partner up with someone who has a really big following you know 10 15 20 30 50,000 followers i'm really engaged make sure they're engaged if they have 50,000 followers they're getting at least 100 150 200 likes on most of their tweets um and comments and things like that but yeah definitely partner up with them and just double triple your sales simple Perfect. That's perfectly put, you know, network and get those relationships and partner with those people who have huge followings, who have engaged followings and people who you can associate with and you can, you know, tie your name to, just like you said, because you were able to partner with Daniel and do that because he is in the same niche as you, you know, cold email, you were able to get that sort of credibility as well. So you definitely leveraged your network. So now, now that I speak about network, now that we speak about network, you know, and speaking of Twitter and having so much business success on that platform alone, lots of it comes from engaging and networking. So I want to dive a little bit more into networking. So someone who doesn't know what networking making is, making friends with valuable what would people, would you say networking is? That's all it is to me. Mm -hmm. Making friends. Okay. So, you know, making friends with valuable people, that's definitely, you know, a great way to put it. And, you know, what would you say is well, important? someone network? Why I don't even love the name network. You know, I just like making friends, like networking seems forced, right? It's like, all right, let me go network. Mm -hmm. uh, it makes me feel, uh, it makes me feel yeah. nasty inside, but it's basically like, <laughs> well, first of all, don't network until you've got the basics covered. Right. And that's one make sure that you have tons of value to provide, right? As a person, that's the most important thing. If you don't, networking is not going to work for you at all. You need to have value. The first, the first key of networking is just giving value and not expecting anything back. Whether that value is to make someone laugh, whether that value is a resource that they would, that they would, would add to their life, whether that value is a piece of knowledge or a partnership or introducing someone to someone else, just giving value, leading with value. And that's repeated over and over because it's absolutely true. Um, so that's what networking is to me. It's just leading with value, expanding your Rolodex of people that you know and you could call on and you could partner up with and they would be these high value people, make sure they're high value people. Um, 
and they are open to your ideas. They know you're super dope. They know you're high value as well. And they know that you're not going to approach them with some dumbass shit and waste their time. Um, so that's what networking is. It's just being of value and reaching out to tons of people, offering value, giving value. And then you're in these people's Rolodex. They know about you. They know about the value you can provide. And the thing is like, you don't have to tell them about the value you, pr- you can provide if you put it on Twitter. They can just see your tweets and like, damn, this dude is a systems genius or he knows cold email or she's, she's amazing on Instagram. She could really grow my page. You don't have to tweet them about it. You don't have to DM them about it. They're going to read your tweets and they're going to build up their persona of you in their minds. So I think that contributes to Twitter being so powerful. Um, but that's what, that's what networking is. Basically making friends with high value people. You have to be high value yourself at first. Um, you know, that's the first thing. And then that can blossom into friendships. That can blossom into partnerships. That can blossom into so many different introductions to other people. Um, they can give you shout outs on Twitter and help you grow. Like you're basically just giving value to each other as much as possible. Like, okay, let me do this for this person. Let me do that for this person. They do this back to you. You know, you're just giving tons of value to each other. And that's really what networking is to me. I see. And I really like how you tied that back to Twitter. Like if you just put out all your valuable content on Twitter, you can amplify and, you know, fasten that process. And, you know, to those listening, you heard it from Ty networking, just throw that word away and call it making friends because that's truly what it is. You know, it's like making connections, building relationships and just, um, you know, that sort of thing where you just provide value and it's always value first. I always say that too. If you can provide value for the person, you'll also, you'll, you know, be able to sustain that relationship and that connection. So to those listening, how do you properly network? How do you connect with high power people? Like some practical advice. If someone wants to go out there, so make some friends. They should be high value themselves, do? right? Like I said before, what I do is I like to build up um, also like, I have things in my head that I know, but a lot of like resources and certain facts and things like that, I don't, I just can't keep in my head. It would be, it would get too crowded up there. So I have what's called a value database. This value database is basically just a notion page, right? For me, I use notion. It's this great project management software. You can really organize things in there and create systems. Basically I have this notion page that I just have like all these different areas business, life, fitness, marketing, email, Twitter, social media, whatever. And whenever I see something, oh, this is really dope. Like this is a great piece of information. Oh, this is a great podcast. This is a great podcast episode. This is a great course. This is a great this, whatever. This is a great thread. I add it in there, right? And then I have all these different resources, like these incredible resources that add value to people's lives um, on my value database. And whenever I see a friend or someone on Twitter that... I sense that they need a certain resource. Cool. I'm going to just DM them and, and like, yo, here's this fire ass content. Jay Abraham, he's a, who's a marketing legend, just dropped like this 33 PDFs, whatever. Like I went through them and I know they're all fucking fire and they're going to help you out. And that's something that I do. So I create this value database so that I always am adding to it. I always can use it and I can always add value that way. So that's what I would recommend. Um, and then I recommend when you reach out, just be friendly, say you know, use their name. People like hearing their name, obviously. Um, be friendly, you know, be genuine and add value. Don't just ask. I've seen this happen and there's multiple mistakes people make. One is just going on about a conversation. It's like a date. It's not a date. You got to add value quick, right? You can't make it or reach out and then they respond. You're like, cool. Don't reach out again. Then engage with them on Twitter, reach out and, and like two, three weeks after that. Cool. But don't ask drone on, ask them questions and questions about them. And like, it's not a date. You're trying to add value as soon as possible. So, and then also just asking for something like never reach out to someone and ask them for something. And this happens to me and it definitely happens to you too, Nitty. And I know it does. It happens to everyone who's above a thousand followers who's putting out straight Mm -hmm. fire ass value. They get people who ask, hey, can you send me your SOPs? Like, what are you talking about? Like, dude, like, I don't know you. I'm not going to just send you my anything. Like, like you got to give to receive, right? So 
basically lead with value. Like I was talking before, don't just drone on, don't waste someone's time. No one wants to text with you for two hours, just getting to know you. No one cares. They don't care about you. You have to make them care about you by giving them value first. Now they're going to care about you. Now you can ask something from them. Don't think about it like that. But now if you give them value, you can either ask them for something or you could just give them more value or you could just have a conversation. They're basically going to be way more receptive to anything you have to say. And that's what I would recommend. Definitely. The, you know, the, the fire value that you just keep spinning while we're on this call is just incredible. It's putting a big smile on my face because it's like, I never heard anyone put it like that. I never heard of anyone do something like that, like a value da database. And where, you know, you say in order to, you know, network, you need to be able to be a person of value and be able to have those experiences, have those values that you can actually go and, you know, spread to the people. And nobody really wants to talk to you unless you have something to provide, right? You need to give to receive first. Like you said, you know, lead with value. I never heard anyone awesome. put it the exact same way that you put it. So I find that to be incredible. Um, so now transitioning a little bit, I want to lastly speak about travel real quick, because you've said you've traveled uh, earlier in this podcast, you mentioned it, but you've also told me that you've traveled a lot. So when I'm older, I aspire to travel a lot as well. So I'm interested in hearing your well, I was your born in Israel and your perspective. And so what places since, have you visited? You know, I've lived in the States for about probably 14, 15 years, Israel for about mm -hmm. five, six years. I lived in Thailand for six months. I've been to, v I was in Vietnam for a month. I was in Japan for a month. I've been to all over Europe and all over the States, um, Canada, Mexico. I haven't been to Latin America. I haven't been to Africa. I haven't been to Australia. I haven't been to a lot of places in, in Asia. Um, but yeah, I, I, traveling is amazing. I traveled for three, four years out of high school when I graduated. So I was living out of a suitcase. Basically, I was in LA, Thailand, Vietnam, whatever. Israel, what I would recommend is that like Japan... And I talk about this on Twitter sometimes, but like Japan is heaven. I promise you, Nita, you got to go like, especially for, especially for people working online. It's amazing because they're the only bad thing about Japan. It has a couple bad things. Maybe they're not very confrontational, which has a, it's a double-edged sword. But one of the only blatantly bad things about Japan is their work culture working for a Japanese company, you're going to work 67 hours, 70 hours a week. You're going to fall asleep at work. And you're like, it's, it's just crazy. Your boss expects so much. You're going to, you're going to have to work overtime. That's unpaid. Um, you're expected to do so much for Japanese companies, many, much of which is unproductive, you know? So it's not like Japanese workers are more productive than, than other workers um, around the world, because a lot of it's, you're not going to spend 70 hours at the workspace and all 70 hours is going to be productive. So like half their hours, they don't do shit, but they're at the workspace there. They act like they're being productive, right? And that's a whole culture over there. So if you work on the computer, on the internet, mm -hmm. you get to go to Japan, enjoy all the amazing things they have to offer. Incredible things like the food, the nature, how society is constructed. Everything is like perfect where it needs to be. It's incredibly clean. People are so nice and kind. Um, you know, it's just an the, the it's just an amazing place. Um, you can have so much fun. There's so many things to do. I can't really speak much about it, but basically, I mean, it, it just I was speechless when I went. Um, you could basically go there and avoid the one shitty thing about being in Japan or Japanese. You could avoid that and just get all the good things if you work online. So that's why I super, super, super highly recommend Japan. Yeah, I definitely, I saw you tweet about it once. Um, and, you know, I, I think I screenshotted that tweet, actually, because it was actually just incredible. I was like, Japan it has got to be something really good because you keep, you know, vouching it. And, you know, yeah, so I went, I didn't live there. there I, little, I went you know, there, years or? Well, I guess. I mean, I was there in January 2018 for a week and a half, two weeks. And then I was there um, April 2019 for about a month. Mm-hmm. And the month is where I fell in love with the country because if you go to Japan, I'd recommend if you're a young person or not. I mean, if you go by yourself, definitely stay at a hostel. Japanese hostels are very clean. 
So I was like super like, I've never stayed at a hostel before in Japan. I heard they're dirty and nasty, whatever. Japan, everything is clean. The hostels are very clean. Like it doesn't smell, whatever. The toilets are always clean. The employees are, are, are dope. I would recommend staying at a hostel. And the second time I went to five different cities. So Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka, Kobe, Nara. And I fell in love. Like it was the time of my life, really. And since then, I actually got to a point now where I'm conversational in Japanese and I uh, could have like one, two hour conversations. I've just been learning like super intensely for the past uh, year and a half. Wow, that's amazing. Yes. I'm definitely going to take your word for it and I'm going to take a <laughs> trip to Japan someday. But do you choose to? Yeah, I will. I will. By myself. But do you choose for to travel now, with anyone else? Until or I was like 21, I kind of settled down a little bit in LA. I got a lease mm-hmm. and everything. Um, but the last three years in high school, I was by myself, but I made friends along the way. You know what I mean? Had some really good times. Um, I recommend staying at a hostel, like unless you live somewhere, like unless you're like, all right, cool. Here's my home base three months, four months. I definitely get an Airbnb, but, or sign like a short-term lease. But if you're going to stay somewhere for a week or two weeks and like hop from city to city, that type of thing, country to country, and you're just trying to have fun, like definitely stay at a hostel. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you for the advice. Um, so, if you could have one, you know, one lesson, one overarching. I think meeting people is. I think relationships and people are more important than anything else. Because I did live in Thailand for like six months, but it was pretty lonely. Like I, I went out and everything cool. Um, but at the same time, I should have done more of that. And I should have really made really good friends, like put in a real effort to make really, really good friends. Uh, Cause I think my time there would have been a lot better spent. So my whole thing is like, try to be around people as much as possible, obviously Corona and everything, but just picture, you know, let's just say it's not there, but try to be around people as much as possible and make mm-hmm. friends um, because you being alone is great. And, and for maybe a couple of weeks, but after a month, two months, whatever, like you need that human contact. You need genuine, real relationships. You need to laugh. You need to talk to people, um, be social, like with, with people that you really like or love. So I would highly recommend like just putting relationships at the forefront of your life. Like this is a priority for me and putting real effort into building those relationships, whether it be online or physically where, wherever you live or wherever you're vacationing. That's beautiful. And, you know, I can tell you're a people's person because like you're open, if that makes sense. And it's like I'm easily able to talk to you even when I'm like engaging with you on a tweet or something. Oh, thank you. I always look you forward too, too to shy. it because you're just you have such a cool personality. <laughs> yeah. So I really find that interesting. And it's not. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you. It's not really a surprise <laughs> that, you know, you you know enjoy building these relationships and stuff. So, OK, man. So before I let you go. If you could Spread say one last day. thing to the audience, what would your message be? Yep. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Just spread love. Spread I think love every day. You want to expand there's on a lot that of hate a little bit? in the world and there's a lot of love. You just want to be someone that loves all the time and let go of certain situations. Don't mm-hmm. feed too much into it. I think especially on Twitter, you've definitely had it. I've definitely had it. People... Whenever you have a tweet go viral, you know where I'm going to go with this. You basically get a lot of hate. And it's like, whenever I did that, like it used to make me mad. And it still does a little bit. Yeah. I'm not, I, I, yeah. not going to lie. It still makes me a little mad. One, because it's like, they're cowards. Like you can't, like they're not telling you face to face. You can't really get back at this person. You can, They're just telling you they're kind of making you mad. And you can't really get, what are you going to like get in an argument with them on Twitter? You look like an idiot. So you, they're like hurting you without you having the ability to hurt them, which is very mm-hmm. unnatural for the, for any, we, that's, that's never been a, a thing that could happen in human history. Um, you know, just with Twitter and online things, but mine, what makes them mad more than anything is just like, yo, if they call you, you're a fucking idiot for saying this, whatever you could be like, Hey, much love and positivity your way. I love you, whatever. And just, just do that. And that's what I've been doing lately. And it's like, I had one guy called me out. I said, uh, politics, you know, whoever, 
and I, you know, be polarizing on Twitter. That's one of the things I like to be a little polarizing. So I was like, uh, whoever pays attention to politics, like let's it engulf their life and they're not, um, what's it called? And they're not making money off it is a loser. And I just like, uh, I don't really think that a thousand percent, you know, I might've exaggerated a little bit just to be polarizing, um, which is like a branding thing. <laughs> but this guy called me out. He's like, oh, this guy's an idiot, whatever, whatever. Cool. I'm like, I comment back. I'm like, Hey man, like much love on the tweet. I'm like much love and sending, sending love and positivity your way. And I posted like a heart emoji. And then he's like, damn, you checkmated me. I feel bad. (laughs) I feel bad now. And I was like, yes. Like, first of all, I like to spread love. And second of all, (laughs) what's the best way to give back to someone that does that to you on Twitter or anywhere online is just be like, Hey man, I love you much love and positivity your way. Wish you the best. And then they're like, they feel guilty because they, like you don't, they don't know you. They don't know how good or bad of a person you are. And they just like, were super, like super mean to you or whatever. And you just do that. Like, that's the best way to get back at someone. And you look like a straight G doing that. So that's what, I, that's what I like to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love your energy, man. And I love that that's your last, you know, piece of advice. Cause Spread love, spread kindness. Your energy there is just beautiful. Yeah. I really admire that. You know, keep that energy. Keep spreading that energy. The world definitely <laughs> thank needs you, it. Um, so thank you. And thank you. Thank you. I can't, you know, thank you enough for uh, that. At um, the Ty Frankel on Twitter. T-H-E-T-Y-F-R-A-N-K-E-L. I'm also the Ty Frankel on Instagram, but I barely post. So Twitter, hit me up on Twitter. You can email me if you want. Ty at shutdownemails.com. Mm-hmm. I don't see why, unless you have like a business opportunity or something, but I mean, um, my DMS are always open. So just be sure to leave with that value. Like we talked about it. And I'll be sure to respond to you. Cause my DMS are crazy. Well, I get like 30 or 40 a day. So I only respond to a select few that make sense to respond to. Otherwise I'd be like just all day on my DMS. So yeah, hit me up. Definitely. Yeah, definitely go hit up Ty, go follow him on his platforms. And yeah, so it was definitely a pleasure having you on this podcast. Seriously, this is one of the best conversations I've had so far. Uh, Gained a ton of value from this, both me and the audience, and I'm sure even you. And so once again, thank you for being on and thank you for spreading that positivity towards the end. Thank you, Nitty. Giving so much value. So with that, I appreciate the hell out of you, Ty, and I'll talk to you soon.